So there's a story of a a professor who came to tea with a Zen master, and he came and he said that he had questions for the teacher, and he um, he started to ask started to ask them, but as the teacher began to to speak, the professor would say, "Oh yeah, 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 I already know that," and proceed to tell him, you know, what it was that the Zen master was trying to say. And after a few of those, um, you know, the Zen master suggested that they pour the tea, it was ready. And when he poured the one for the professor, he um, poured it up and up and up, and then he poured it all the way over the top, and the tea was spilling out onto the table. And the professor said, stop, it's already full. And the Zen master said, yeah, you are already full. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just reflecting what is happening in your mind. So there's a way in which when we're already completely full, there's nothing that we can learn. <coughs> if we know everything, we're not able to take in more in our practice. And so I'm, um, I have a piece here that I hope you'll indulge me on because it's about a different field, but it applies very well to meditation. And it has actually some somewhat profound uh, things that it's pointing to. So this is written actually by a professor. (laughs) It says, Recently I saw an old friend for the first time in many years. We had been students at the same time, both studying science, although in different areas. She later dropped out of school and is now successfully working for a major environmental organization. At some point, our conversation turned to why she had left school. And to my utter astonishment, she said it was because it made her feel stupid. After a couple of years of feeling stupid every day, she was ready to do something else. (laughs) I had thought of her as one of the brightest people I knew, and her subsequent career supports that view. So what she said bothered me. I kept thinking about it. Sometime the next day, it hit me. Science makes me feel stupid, too. It's just that I've gotten used to it. So used to it, in fact, that I actively seek out new opportunities to feel stupid. So this is written by a scientist, and, you know, you may or may not be a scientist. That's where I'm asking for your indulgence. But um, I think we can get the spirit of it, since we live in a society that very much values science and inquiry. And this is also very, very useful in meditation. Do we seek out new opportunities to feel stupid in our meditation, or do we think we already know everything and we just want to sit down and do the program that we already know? So he goes on to say, I think we don't do a good enough job of teaching our students how to be productively stupid. I'm not talking about relative stupidity, in which students succeed at different levels on tests. Science involves, or meditation, involves confronting our absolute stupidity. That kind of stupidity is an existential fact, inherent in our efforts to push our way into the unknown. Productive stupidity means being ignorant by choice. Focusing on important questions puts us in the awkward position of being ignorant. One of the beautiful things about science and meditation 
is that it allows us to bumble along, getting it wrong, time after time, and feel perfectly fine as long as we learn something each time. The more comfortable we become with being stupid, the deeper we will wade into the unknown, and the more likely we are to make big discoveries. So we're asked to have a somewhat, you know, fairly sophisticated, fairly mature attitude toward how much we know. Um, he's saying in science, and I would say in meditation, too. We need to come in with some degree of confidence and resilience in some sense um, in order to be able to sit down and, and accept our own experience as something that is valuable and can teach us and that we are actually able to connect with. Sometimes people need help making that first step. Yes, your experience is a valid uh, way for you to learn. You don't need to get it from the books, from everybody else. It's right here. But we can also err on the other side, right? And be, oh yeah, 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 I got that, I know that. I already know I'm an angry person, I already know I'm a fearful person. Tell me something I don't know. Well, maybe you don't know that as deeply as you think you do. Maybe we don't know what anger is exactly. I've been angry my whole life. I know everything about that. What about this moment of anger? Have you looked at that one? Maybe it's got some different features that you didn't see before. If you already know everything, your teacup is full. There's no liberation in that. So productive stupidity is a bit of a balance between knowing and not knowing. And we, we have to learn that for ourselves as we go through our practice, and I think continually relearn it, because practice naturally changes how we understand things. This is a practice of knowing and of not knowing, but it's about seeing how things are each moment, and then that changes what we know, what we understand, and then we have to shift again and make sure we're in that balanced position of productive stupidity or of appropriately confident humility. You see the balance there? Confident humility. Very, very humble to learn about the mind. Very humbling. And we're not going to get there if we're unwilling to step forward into the unknown, unwilling to look, unwilling to be with our experience. So we're explorers you know, into regions that we don't know. And we're all naturalists of our own experience, scientists of our own mind, although I don't think that's a perfect analogy. Um, so I brought a second look at this, and maybe, um, maybe you can, it's up to you to see how they relate. This is a quote from George Sharp This is the path of failure. We see that our definition of success is what is not working. What is working is deep and unseen. And then a poem by Rosemary Traumer. It's called, the, the poem is titled, Though It Is Tough to Choose It. It goes like this. Even a small discontent is enough to shut us down, convince us that the world is cold and indifferent. Everywhere there's evidence of this this slush that falls on your car seat when you open the car door, the carrion eaters with their great, great black wings that linger beside the road. You pray for sun, and it gets darker. 
someone asks you a question and you see your whole life fold into one small envelope of failure. Then one day you hit against the same impassable wall you always hit, and this time you fall to your knees, not because you are weak, but because at last you are ready to be opened. Oh, sweet failure, how it leads us. Any unhappy ending is only an invitation to crawl into the blank pages of the next unwritten chapter. It was never success that transformed us, always the breaking, not the breaking itself, but the mystery inside pushing through us like bindweed through pavement, making cracks in everything we think we know so that the world can come streaming in. So, I hope you might celebrate what you know and what you don't know today. Thank you. Are there any comments or questions? Who wrote that? Which? The second. The last The last poem. one? The last poem, Rosemary Traumer. I quote her a lot here. Yeah, Alice. So that's another way of saying beginner's mind. Yeah, beginner's mind is a nice balance of those things also. When I, when I think of beginner's mind, I think of children, young children especially, because they seem to be so open and so present. Yeah, there's a way in which um, a, a childlike uh, appreciation of the world can be appropriate. Some people describe the Dalai Lama as kind of childlike in his joy and delight at just being, despite his, I think it's a nice balance for the kind of seriousness of his title. <laughs> um, but I don't think it's a perfect analogy in that um, wisdom, children don't have much wisdom. And uh, this is asking for a little bit more mature relationship, I think, than children bring. Um, sometimes people say, oh, you should just only be in the present moment. My teacher used to complain that his children were completely in the present moment, mm -hmm. and the result of this was that they couldn't get them out the door to get to school, you know. It's like they're so in the present moment, they're looking at the bug on the sidewalk, and, you know, it's some, in some way you've got to uh, have some wider perspective. So um, it, it's an analogy that is useful at times and not at other times. Certainly the wisdom of being able to stand up to our deepest fears, our very dark side, our fear of death, um, all of which we'll encounter in the course of meditation, requires something beyond what a child can bring. Yeah. I see a few nods, but please use that at times where it's appropriate. Like, please be delightful in the sunshine outside. It's very nice today. The solstice. The it's the solstice. It's the longest time we should all appreciate the light that is blessing us at this on this day. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.